All right, welcome to the AdaptX podcast, where we have conversations with individuals who are building accessible businesses, advocating for inclusion, or excelling in adaptive sports. Today, we are joined by Dustin Gianelli. Dustin is a profoundly deaf, diversity, and inclusion motivational speaker who has shared his story with corporations, large universities, and organizations around the country, and we'll get into some of those. As one of the 48 million deaf and hard of hearing Americans, Dustin is able to share his story and strategies to create a more accessible world. Dustin, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's so good to see you again. I'm glad the kids are doing well. (laughs) Yeah, Dustin was the keynote speaker at our first Adapt Expo last year. Um, We learned a bunch about uh, organizing event. The audience loved Dustin's um, speech and presentation. But so, Dustin, as a as a motivational speaker, you're clearly comfortable in your own skin. But uh, was it always that way growing up? Yeah, you know, ever since I was young, uh, I had always been advocating myself and others. Um, I give a lot of credit, especially nowadays, to my late grandfather, who was a double amputee. And, you know, he uh, really normalized disability in my household. So when I was diagnosed with a hearing loss when I was five years old, I was already familiar with what it was like to need help and accept differences. So... Yeah, you know, I've I've been advocating for myself uh, for a long time, and uh, it's been mostly a positive experience. That's been one of the things that we've been trying to figure out how to navigate, because it seems like barriers to inclusion and accessibility are often an education and an exposure issue. Like, people just don't have experiences interacting with people with disabilities, and so then these stigmas are kind of reinforced. So I feel like through commonalities, whether it's sports or recreation, and like you said, normalizing disability, that appears to be the best path forward towards creating a more accessible world. Do you have any any like um, strategies or suggestions as to not just fitness industries, but other businesses and organizations, uh, what they can do to create a more inclusive uh, environment and an accessible environment? Absolutely. You know, historically, people almost shy away from the conversation. The conversation about learning about different types of disabilities. And you see somebody, whether they're in a wheelchair, they're blind with a cane, or they have an amputation, or they're deaf with hearing aids or cochlear implant. They're almost scared to offend, right? And it's okay, right? We just need to educate ourselves and be... Um, as educated as we can, you know, because someday down the road you may work with someone with a disability. You may be part of a team uh, with somebody with a disability. And the earlier we can uh, familiarize ourselves with those different types of disabilities, the better we'll be. You know, at a young age, for me, during recess, Basketball was, was the sport, right? And uh, I grew up playing basketball my whole life with my older brother, and I did very, very well. And at recess, I, as the team captain, picked the kids that didn't get picked first. I picked them first because it helped me push myself to be the best I can be, and it gave me the sense of inclusion. Because I always wanted to be included. They wanted to be included, but they got picked last. Not on my team, 
they got picked first. Yeah, and how, I made sure you, they got the ball. How do, how do you suggest that people have those conversations? You said that one of the best ways to familiarize yourself with disability is for people to to talk to you about it. So, But like you mentioned, people are afraid of offending and saying the wrong thing. So maybe even putting it in like a fitness environment standpoint, if you were coming to me, I was your personal trainer, what would you want me to ask you about uh, what needs you, uh, like what accommodations you need, uh, what you want to get mm -hmm. out of it, kind of how would you want that conversation to go? Yeah, you know, the key to... Um the key to life is communication. <laughs> the key to success in life is communication. The key to communication is access. So when you and I are building a relationship for the first time and I'm attending your gym and we're creating a plan together, resonate with one another, right? You notice my hearing aids or maybe you don't at first. Most people don't, but they see that I'm very attentive and lip reading. So it's already, okay, I see your lip reading is there anything I can do to make this even more comfortable? Or what if I'm over here and you're over there? This is you asking me. And I feel I love that. Me personally. Right? How can we make this a smooth process and innovate as we go? There'll be situations I'm working out. I can't see the trainer, hear them. There's no live captions. So how do we navigate that scenario? And that's all, you know, important to talk about. What we can do is, as an almost workaround, is, or preparation method, is write everything down. Review that before and after the workout. And really study the workouts before we attack. Yeah, that's a really simple solution. It's basically just universal design, making sure the way you're sharing information is presented in a variety of ways. And I know from running hundreds of classes here, writing down the workouts wouldn't just benefit you. It benefits everyone who comes to the gym because they need reminders, music's going, maybe they can't hear. Um, some people just retain information better when they read it as opposed to hear it. So um, that's, I guess, one way that accessibility really benefits everyone, not just the one user that it might be intended exactly. for. It, it Exactly what you said is, is a, a prime example is closed captioning. Yeah. Right? When you're watching Netflix or your favorite movie, TV shows, um, 80 plus percent of people that use closed captions are not deaf or hard of hearing. And captions were created for the deaf and hard of hearing community. The same way that Siri on the iPhone was actually created as an adaptive solution for people who are blind. Now everybody uses Siri, everybody uses captions, everybody is starting to adapt and use things that were made for the disability community. And that's why it's so important for all of us to be aware, especially at a young age, you know, get your kids acquainted to different groups and communities. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing about life is you can join different communities at any point in your life. And you're not trapped or stuck in that one community. You know, you go to high school, there's all sorts of clubs and you name it. Go to college, same thing. So on, on the, when on we the think topic. about diversity and inclusion, we're thinking about community. Absolutely. On the topic of captions, I sometimes see in social media 
now it's been kind of like aesthetically ramped up where you have flashing different colors and are there just just for people that might not have any experience using captions as someone who's hard of hearing um are those as accessible as just regular black and white captions it it depends on who you ask (laughs) yeah you know it's um what it came down to is more and more people were using captions, and whether they're deaf or not, they saw an opportunity for innovation. And they saw, and people liked, the individual words highlighted, right? With color, maybe with different font, or emojis instead of the word, or an emoji after the word. That's innovation, you know? And as I mentioned before, it, it, it depends on who you ask. A lot of people that are deaf or hard of hearing, especially perhaps older folks, they prefer that standard black background, white text. Three different fonts to choose from, but mainly Times New Roman. So, you know, it, it, it's all about innovation and preference. Yeah, that's, that's tough because I feel like uh, I was even reading a LinkedIn post last night where it was uh, critiquing someone who said that they're fully accessible because you can't necessarily be accessible for everyone at all times. So that's, I think that's one of the things that might prevent people from making the effort to do so is that they know that it's hard to accommodate every person's every need. Um, So what do you think are, when you're speaking to a company or when you're speaking to an organization, what actions do you hope they take after your presentation to kind of work towards that more accessible or inclusive environment? Great question. You know, when I do corporate engagements and workshops and trainings, it's a little bit of everything. And what I mean by that is it's education around the hearing loss community Um, I show an audiogram so that they understand the different uh, levels of hearing loss um, and show my audiogram, which dips immediately to the profound levels. And so what does that mean? What are the sounds I can't hear? And how does that relate to things like mental health? Right? So... There's so many different subtopics that come out of my, my conversation that bring awareness to people with disabilities and abilities to think, how can I be the best I can be in work, at home, with my friends, in social setting? How can I accommodate for others the best I can? Right? Yeah. Um, and and that's it. You know, I start my talks with the key to success in life is communication. And the key to communication is access, accessibility. So when we think about that from a workplace standpoint, you could be working for a Fortune 500, you're in marketing or you're in sales, you're in IT, you're in HR. It doesn't matter what what department you're in. It's 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 the common denominator is communication. Absolutely, yeah. Maybe you mentioned education, so maybe we can just kind of 
talk about death and and some various um, subtypes and different uh, terminology and stuff within the uh, within that world because I think the audience may or may not be exposed to it. So maybe a few rapid fire questions. Uh, what's the difference between capital D def and lowercase d def? Great question. So I identify as lowercase d deaf, profoundly deaf, and um, you know because I'm a verbal communicator, um, I can hear not very well, but the hearing aids amplify sound, right? So um, that helps me. And capital D deaf is really all about deaf culture. Their primary um, language, primarily, is sign language. And whether they're verbal or nonverbal, capital D deaf is a very tight community within the overall deaf and hard of hearing community. So then there's hard of hearing, um, who whether you have a mild or moderate, uh, a less significant hearing loss, um, there's all different, you know, spectrums of loss, but you, you can kind of sense that I'm in the middle, right? of the hearing world and the capital D deaf world. So my goal is to bridge it all together. Um, a lot of people with perhaps my degree of loss, we're all part of this community together. We have different stories and differences and different ways of communicating, but the deaf and hard of hearing community of 48 million strong in the US alone is only growing. In the world, it's 432 million people, and it's going up to 700 million people by 2050. So we're not going anywhere, and we need to keep advocating for each other. Was sign language ever on your radar? Is there a reason why you chose lip reading and verbalizing as opposed to ASL? I was the only one in my family that, that is deaf. Um, and so growing up in a verbal family as a verbal communicator, um, I went to mainstream school and, you know, did what I had to do to succeed. Um, and by the way, it wasn't until the school nurse's hearing exam that they identified uh, that I was deaf. Um, one year I passed no problem. The second year the school nurse put a board up in between the nurse and the student and I remember standing in line watching the student not be able to see the nurse's lips. And I'm saying to myself, this isn't going to work. <laughs> right? So that's how we identified it. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I, I did end up going to summer camps, schools for the deaf, um, and, you know, associated myself with capital D culture and, and others. Um, my... My biggest passion growing up was basketball, and especially during the summer, I wanted to play all day, every day. And I finally told my mother, I said, Mom, you know, I, I don't think this is the community I uh, resonate with the most. I would like to also play basketball. And she said, okay, that's fine. But I want you to just know they're always there for you, and they're an amazing community. Maybe speaking about basketball, were there advantages uh, to your hearing loss uh, when you were playing basketball? And maybe what were the disadvantages as well? Uh, so, well, <laughs> a lot of times I would get, 
you know, be boxing out a shot or, you know, going for a rebound and my hearing would be knocked out. <laughs> so I would be then boxing out my own teammates at times to say, don't step on it, my hearing aid, you know. Um, but advantages was uh, lip reading, um, being able to look over at my coach. Um, sometimes in town basketball, right, uh, my, my brother was my coach for a couple of years and he knew all the, the ins and outs and I'd be able to glance over and he'd lip read something to me and boom, someone was wide open if I did this and I passed and they hit the shot. Um, plays, even, even in, in football, um, flag football, I should add. See, at a young age, the doctor told my mom, um, no contact sports such as football or hockey because it could damage my cochlea even more and uh, I would lose more hearing. And so I didn't play football or hockey in high school, um, but in college I played flag football and one of my best friends, Billy Clement, was our player, uh, quarterback and coach and uh, he would lip read numbers to me and we he taught us the tree, one through nine, Every number has a different route, and the other team had no idea what we were doing, and I would be open ninety uh, percent of the time. <laughs> kind of on that topic, I, I was reading an interesting article a couple of weeks ago about uh, Gallaudet University's partnership with AT and T, and they have a um, basically the play gets um, projected onto the quarterback's helmet on like a visual field. But it was interesting to also read about. The history of the huddle actually came from a yep. deaf quarterback at Gallaudet, and he quote unquote invented the huddle so he could share his plays um, with his teammates. And um, yeah, that's just, I guess, another interesting example of how uh, innovation often comes from um, the need for accommodation and inclusion. Absolutely. It's an amazing fun fact. You know, I, I, uh, I love that fun fact about sports and how the huddle was created with yeah. the deaf community. Yeah, you also coach, right? So you've been coaching youth basketball over the years as well? Yes. Yeah, how yeah. how would you say that your hearing loss um, has made you a better coach? Well, it, it, this was such a great group of kids. It was sixth grade AAU boys basketball. Um I didn't know them, they didn't know me, they didn't know each other. And that's the beauty of AAU and sports in general. But I brought everybody together in our first practice. And I said, all right guys, what's the key to the game of basketball? What's the most important part of basketball? Defense, uh, yeah, but keep going. That's not the one I'm looking for. Um, dribbling, ball handling, yeah, keep going. Communication. What was that? Hmm. Communication. Louder. Everybody. Communicate. Right? And it really brought awareness to all of us to celebrate. That's the key. We just unlocked the key to winning games. No matter what the scoreboard says. Because we won one game. And it was awesome. And, you know, it, it just brought us all together, a tight group, never gave up from start to finish. Uh, we even had uh, five players one game 
We were shorthanded, and one got fouled out. We played the last five minutes in a tie up and down game with four players, and we lost by one in overtime. I mean, it was unbelievable. So, you know, it's just, it, it, it's an important lesson for all of us to celebrate. Yeah, sports definitely have a power to normalize differences for sure. Um, that's uh, obviously a huge part of what you can gain from participating in sports. Um, what led you to pursue a career in speaking as opposed to maybe working within an accessibility department at a company? I've always admired different professional speakers. You know, throughout my career in school, when you see the passion unleashed by a speaker on a stage and they own it, no matter what their difference is, no matter what their challenges are, when you own it, I mean, it's contagious. It's admirable. And I've always advocated for myself since I was five years old, right? which allowed me to advocate for others. And that's ultimately what the goal here is. And when the pandemic hit, I was actually in a completely different industry. I was in the commercial architecture and interior design world. I was working for Idea Paint, which was a really cool dry race whiteboard paint company and turned your big conference room wall into a giant canvas or your kid's playroom into a giant canvas. What that meant to me was See, in a conference room, it's very difficult for me to hear everybody and read lips across the room on the right side and the left side, and then they crisscross, and people in Boston everywhere talk fast. It's fatiguing, you know, um, but at least I can read what's on the wall. So it was a fun, meaningful sell. And when I presented that to architects and designers who specified the product, it was just fun. Um, fast forward, you know, the pandemic hit. And I needed help. The world went virtual overnight. And my deaf and hard of hearing community needed help. So I jumped. I learned everything there was to learn about closed captioning. I joined a live captioning, uh, closed caption, uh, video accessibility technology company here in Boston. And that was just a great segue for me to start heresdustin.com and my own personal brand. You know, I studied marketing and sales and management entrepreneurship at University of New Hampshire Business School. I never learned about personal branding. I was always marketing and branding for another organization until I realized I can do this for me to impact the greater good. Yeah, there's something powerful about uh, promoting and advocating for yourself and seeing what you can build personally as opposed to build for someone else. But I find it's it's tough sometimes to uh, to market yourself. It feels. Do you ever feel like it's kind of like self-consuming, or um, do you ever do you ever have a hard time, I guess, sharing your accomplishments and kind of promoting yourself? You know, it's at the beginning, yes, a little bit, but I never looked at it as promoting myself the same way that I'm not fighting for 
X, Y, and Z, rights. I'm not fighting for rights. I am advocating. So I'm not promoting myself. I'm advocating myself. Right? And so that's a very big realization, I think, <clears throat> for me, for others, other speakers, other influencers, if you will. You know, it, it's, it's not about just me. My story is a vessel to the overall message. Yeah. And it's not about just the deaf community. It's about the disability community and the ability community. The word ability is in disability for a reason. Right? And as soon as we all, you know, it, it, you build your own communities, especially over LinkedIn. And, you know, I've, I, I've created such an amazing group of professionals, accessibility experts, diversity inclusion champions, IT, who are event planners, and we're helping each other. It's not, again, it's not just about me, you know. So I put out as much information as I can, events that I'm going to, put together a cool little video with music and closed captions, and just make sure that we learn something from everything. What is your process of preparing for a presentation? Because as of, you'll be now episode 30, and... It's definitely become somewhat of a skill, I guess, to host these podcasts and something I need to refine and improve. And I find myself reading biographies to try to learn how authors portray their guests or their subjects of their stories. Uh, so I'm always interested to learn from other speakers in terms of kind of how they lock in, how they prepare for presentations. Uh, so if a company reaches out to you, uh, what is that back and forth and what is that process kind of like? Well, you know, there's so many podcasts out there. I've got another one next week, too. And the ultimate goal is, yes, to have a great conversation and bring awareness to their audience. But also, what else can we do together? Right? What is going to really build our relationship and help bring more accessibility to your everyday? And so that initial conversation is really to identify other engagements or, you know, social media opportunities or what events are you going to, what conferences are you attending this year, can I be part of it, right? And it's continuously building a relationship. And that's one of my other keynotes is uh, relationship building and the art of selling yourself. Because again... You might be in marketing or HR, IT, event planning, but everybody is in sales. You're selling yourself and your abilities. And so, you know, it, it's just very important to build a relationship more than just have a conversation on a podcast. And that's why you and I stay, have stayed in touch since last May. Last year, yeah. About a year. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think you're definitely right in that everything... Uh, kind of revolves around sales. It almost makes you think that it should be a mandatory part of of really any industry or any curriculum or education. Everything becomes kind of sales and marketing. It doesn't matter how good the AdaptX course is or how good the podcast is if it never reaches a big enough audience. So it always kind of revolves around growing an audience, growing a brand, sharing a message. Um, 
but I'm also interested in like how a speech goes from motivational to actionable, like um, what you want the companies to then do after your speech is done. It's a great question. You know, there's when you understand <clears throat> the why first, for example, in the in the speaking engagement itself, you learn in thirty minutes, forty five minutes, all about the why, and then it's the what, and the who, what, where, right, when, how. When we start to come together as a team, and you go back, and you you you, you back to that project you were just working on, and then you hear someone like my speech, it's like okay. We didn't really think about this design with disabilities in mind at all. And then the conversation, the product, the evolution of creating it evolves. So, you know, we, we also keep in touch by doing different workshops later on to make sure that disability inclusion and accessibility is top in mind. And we do different updates. Companies are always changing, especially nowadays, layoffs and, you know, um, unforeseeable things within the organization. But um, it's important to continue to talk about these things and, and share one another's progress. So that's yes. the actionable item that we're looking for is to share that progress. Yeah, it I like, doesn't happen overnight, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like the mention of reconsidering the design process uh from a disability standpoint as well, making sure that accommodations and accessibility needs are uh prioritized from the beginning. Can't always be like retroactively resolved. Sometimes it has to be uh, oftentimes it has to be considered from the get-go. Mhm. Mm um, what are the biggest barriers that you face uh, due to your deafness, either professionally or personally, whatever you're comfortable sharing, just so maybe people can take away and kind of better understand, I guess, what that life is like? So, you know, I think the biggest challenges early on, too, in being a solopreneur is or relates to mental health, right, and focus and the grind it's certainly not easy but your passion does a lot of the work for you you just got to keep following the passion and the work will come and what comes along with that is failure quote failure right and the word no someone recently told me an old mentor of mine the word no actually stands for, right, N-O, next opportunity. And that's how we succeed, is we take no and we turn it into a yes. And this dates back all the way to my grandfather's mentality. He didn't take no for an answer, you know, and... He always advocated for himself and had what he would say a positive mental attitude. PMA, 
right? And, you know, that's just such important life lessons. But being okay to fail is extremely important in this journey. Uh, you learn so much about yourself, um, how you pitch your services, how you engage in a partnership, pricing, different social media type of opportunities. And uh, the more you can feel included from the beginning, literally that sense of inclusion, the sense of belonging, the more you can feel that from the start, the better the relationship will be. You might not have any strong opinions one way or the other, but um, it's just kind of a topic that came to mind as you were speaking. Um, with disability simulations, um, or just with the term of uh, helping people better understand disability by simulating a specific impairment. Do you have any strong feelings towards that? Like, do you think that's a beneficial activity if maybe employees were put in your shoes, quote unquote, and they were unable to hear each other and they had to go through a workshop of how they would communicate? Do you, I've also read kind of on the other side of the spectrum where people with disabilities are kind of offended by that type of thing because they make it seem like it's transient and then they take the headphones off and they're able to go back to their life and it makes it seem like disability is just kind of something to be played with. Do you have any strong feelings one way or the other? It's... That's an interesting question, you know, and, and in fact, the Museum of Science, Boston, is doing a very cool... They're creating a new exhibit that's all about the science of hearing, what you might hear versus what I might hear. And that's fascinating to me. To others, it might be, quote, offensive. But it's important because that is reality. People don't know what it's like to live as a profoundly deaf individual or a blind individual or someone with autism or dyslexia. We don't know what we don't know. And the more that we can learn, because life is a journey, you need to continue to learn about as much as you can in life. And I'm all for it, personally, you know, and I think that you can sense that. Yeah. In, well. the, in that same vein, I think it's interesting to maybe have people try out wheelchair basketball, try out different different sports because it's that's essentially it's not really a simulation but you're you're trying out different things you're gathering different experiences you're understanding different perspectives um so yeah it's just something where it seems like seems like when you have people that are polarized one side or like one way or the other it almost discourages you from even trying because you don't want to be critiqued by either end if that makes sense uh, so then it mm -hmm. sometimes prevents people from even becoming invested in the topic. So, um, yeah, I think of kind of finding a common ground. But so that's where it's good to hear from you saying like, oh, no, I think that's a great I think that's a great approach to education. And I will add, you know, when you see somebody with a visible disability, you're strangers, but you feel like I want to help that person. There's ways to go about that and approach it uh, appropriately from both sides. Um, say someone's walking with a, a white cane in the streets and you're a visible person, you want to help them across the street safely. Your intentions are great. How do you do that? 
Well, you never want to grab their arm. You never want to invade their space and assume that they need help. People with disabilities can also live very independently, successfully. And unless they're showing that they need help, you don't have to offer it. Again, your intentions are there, but this is an independent life as well, and so uh, you don't want to uh, approach it in the wrong way. But, you know, it, it's important to be aware of all of it. All of it. The more you know. Exactly. Um, let's see, what else? I feel like we touched on most of the topics I like. Maybe, like, does the... Um Regarding etiquette and communication, does does the term disabled, uh, does that have a negative connotation to you? Um, or are you comfortable being referred to as a disabled individual? Yeah, you know, I'm, personally, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, I'm part of the disability community. Um, but again, the word ability is in disability. So I talk about my abilities before anything else. And, you know, a lot of times, especially at a loud convention or networking event, uh, restaurants, people don't realize I'm deaf and they don't see my hearing aids because they're beige and they kind of blend in and uh, you see my charismatic personality and you just don't realize he must be deaf. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's just in those settings, especially that's where I, my motto comes in called be on offense uh, is is what do I need to do to succeed in those loud environments and how can I turn the negative of too much loud noise not being able to lip read perfectly into a positive I'm on offense I drive the conversation first I'm almost able to sense what they might say next I'm getting used to their voice and the way their lips move at the same time because I'm letting them talk first, that's helping me be on offense to understand them down the line and build a relationship. Little things like that, you know, it's, it's tricks that I've learned over the years. Um, and be on offense came from when I was 11 years old. I know I told you this story, but in short for the audience, I went to Michael Jordan's basketball camp when I was 11, my brother was 14, and we got to meet him every day, and one day he gave an auditorium speech, and I was about 50, 60 feet away from the stage. As soon as he came out, I very quickly realized I couldn't hear anything he was saying. In those days, there were no live captions. There was not a screen projected on his face so I could lip read. And it was up to me in that moment to ask the counselor in the aisle, Hi, I'm deaf. I lip read. May I sit up front? But instead, because I was embarrassed, sitting next to my new teammates from all over the world and didn't want that to be a barrier, I pretended to laugh and pretended to smile for a full hour and missed everything my idol was saying. So I created a pun to basketball, be on offense, get the help you need, because others aren't always going to get it for you. And it's not just like others don't want to get it for you. It's that others might not understand how to get it for you unless you do advocate for yourself. They don't know what they don't know either, and that's exactly. okay, yeah. right? And so that's why it's so important. It's a two-way street. 
what are the coolest opportunities that have um, come about over the last couple of years for you since you kind of transitioned into this new career? Well, being able to speak in front of you know hundreds of people uh, at a time, both in person and virtual, it's 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 the feeling of inclusion. You know, you you feel empowered and and you know you're doing important work, and so that itself is probably the coolest um, accomplishment, I, I guess I could say. But you know, speaking to companies like Converse headquarters. HubSpot, uh, the TD Garden, and and Staples Corporate, and University of Michigan, and University of New Hampshire, and Princeton, and you know all these amazing, amazing, prestigious organizations. I learned so much from them, right? And again, it's not all about me and my story in the deaf community and the disability community. It's about all of us. And so, part of what Here's Dustin is all about is learning and spotlighting other companies and organization DEI and accessibility initiatives. Yeah, absolutely. I thought you were going to maybe mention all, uh, Yeah. I thought you maybe mention your model and career as well. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you for bringing that up. Um, <laughs> I did participate in Runway of Dreams in New York Fashion Week in September. Um, this uh, organization, Runway of Dreams, is amazing they uh, showcase adaptive clothing so all the brands that participate you have Tommy Hilfiger, Gap, uh, you know Adidas, Victoria's Secret, Kohl's, Target you know they showcase adaptive equipment and and clothing and all the different models have a variety of disabilities and abilities so it's really uh, an amazing way to bring together differences and celebrate one another that was in September and just an amazing opportunity. Um, maybe to, to wrap up most of these episodes, we talk, uh, or I just ask a, a question that's, um, that's common across kind of like all the different guests and their different experiences. But um, what do you think needs to be done or what could be done to make fitness more accessible? I would say, you know, uh, live captioning and clean audio, especially in the different types of studios that are dark, red lit, very, uh, you know, people are moving around everywhere and music is craziness. Um, I'm lost in those environments. And I think even people that are hearing are lost. You know, they're just kind of looking at each other and following along the best you can. But yeah, you might be getting a good workout in, but there's a way to get a better workout in. And it comes down to feeling more included. And if you have live captions and better audio and visuals, you know, F45 does a good job with visuals. They put up a screen that has a quad of four different workouts. And you're able to kind of see it first. And then you know which workout you're doing based on which quad you're in. You know, it's all about thinking about the senses and what if, as a gym owner, you lacked one or two of those senses? How would you need access? Yeah, I, I remember seeing F45s and, and immediately thinking like, oh, this this might not have been intended to be 
an accessible uh, accessibility thing, but it's a super impressive uh, and effective way to uh, to display the information. So I, I do remember seeing that and being really impressed with it. It's it's definitely a probably an easy thing that really any gym that does group classes could use. Um, just some sort of display screen that shows what clients are doing so um, they have those things to refer back to. We've started using some mobile apps for some of our adaptive athletes that have videos and pictures and they just scroll down on the iPad at the gym and they check off their boxes as they finish their exercises and it's just a just an easy way for them to uh, stay on task and uh, kind of refer back to information that they need if, if it's not being presented auditorily by a coach. So. Well, Dustin, I think um, I'm, I'm glad I was able to have you on again. Uh, always appreciate talking to you. I feel like some of our conversations when we just meet on Zoom, like um, we, we talk about these topics and I've always thought like I should probably be sharing these conversations because I think they're super worthwhile. So that's kind of where the podcast came about. I was like, I'm meeting with all these incredible people. I'm having all these conversations I wish I could share. And now the podcast gives me the opportunity to do so. So really appreciate the work you're doing. Really appreciate your friendship and your support. Um, we'll make sure we include here's Dustin. Here's as an H E A R S dot com in the show notes. We'll share any material where people can find you, uh, social media handles, etc. But Dustin, thanks again. Thank you for having me, and I look forward to all of your continued success. Thank you for listening to the AdaptX podcast. Our effort to amplify the ideas of our guests and create more inclusive and accessible industries is futile unless these episodes reach a larger audience. If you enjoyed our discussion today, please leave us a rating or a review on whichever platform you use. And if you would like to learn more about AdaptX, the course that we teach to health and fitness professionals and the projects that our organization is working on, you can subscribe to our newsletter through our website, www.adaptx.org. Until next Monday.